This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, everyone. You're tuned into the Engineering Career Coach podcast, the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. And I'm Chris Knutson, your host for today's episode. And this one is about planning, long game planning and career resilience. I reached out to today's guest, John Tarnoff, who's a coach that works with baby boomer generation professionals and career transitions because of his experiences and guidance for making effective career transitions and his thoughts about career resiliency. Also, because he understands the key importance of planning and project selection. Now, those are both skills that effective engineers wield, both skills that each of us must build to create a fulfilling engineering career. Plus, although many of you may not be anywhere near 50 years old, you're going to be one day. And thinking about long-range career goals in your legacy, yeah, not a waste of time. So maybe this episode is going to spur you to do just that, some very long-range planning. We also get into the use of the pivot in career transitions. That's a term that John's going to define for all of you. He also provides some tips for millennials, Gen Xers, and Yers on how best to work with and leverage the knowledge of the baby boomer engineers that they work with and what benefits an engineering company might be able to realize from bringing baby boomer generation engineers back into their staff, either on a full or part-time basis. But before we get into the main segment of today's show, I want to give a shout out to today's sponsor, PPI, who makes this show possible for all of you. If you're thinking about taking the FE, PE, or SE exam this year, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in engineering exam preparation. And for a special 15% discount, use promo code COACH at ppitopass.com slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com slash coach, and use promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. So the show notes for today's episode can be found at engineeringcareercoach.com, and they're going to contain not only highlights from the interview, but links to John's work on his website and Huffington Post column, as well as his books and the other resources that both of us mentioned. And while you're there checking out the resources, go ahead and drop Anthony and I a message by clicking on the Submit a Question box on the right-hand side of the screen. We'd love to hear what challenges or successes you're facing in your engineering career, and we might just feature it on an upcoming question and answer episode. So let's get into the right mindset for today's main segment with a quote from our guest. And that quote goes, a chasm cannot be crossed in two leaps. And now career reinvention coach, John Tarnoff. Now it's time for the main segment of our show. And for today's main segment, I have John Tarnoff with me. John is a baby boomer career reinvention coach, speaker, and author with multiple career reinventions of his own. Fired 39% of the time in his colorful career as an L.A.-based film producer, studio executive, and tech entrepreneur, he currently co-runs a graduate management program for a top university. In 2012, he developed the Boomer Reinvention Coaching Curriculum to help his generation stay active, engaged, relevant, and solvent. He is the author of the forthcoming book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career After 50. And as a reminder, the show notes for today's show will be at engineeringcareercoach.com. Those show notes are going to contain a summary of all the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that John or I mentioned during the show. And again, you can go to engineeringcareercoach.com and get all that information. John, welcome to the show. 
It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe some of the listeners are thinking, hey, you know what? I'm not after 50, but the reason that uh, you know we ended up getting in touch with each other and I reached out to you was that it doesn't matter if you're after 50 now, you're going to be there. And this is one of those things that I strongly believe that as, as engineers or really anybody that you've, you've kind of got to be on the front end planning about, you know, planning for this and leading your way towards it. And I have no doubt that, especially because of the fact that you have been through so many career shifts over your lifetime, that you've got a great amount of information to share with us. For everyone that's out there listening, that was the reason why John is on today, and I'm really excited about it. And I think, John, maybe the first thing that I would ask is just so that all the listeners have an understanding of maybe your background and where you come from, to maybe just explain what is this 39% fire? Because I think most people, myself included, would be crushed if I was fired even once. Can you unpack that for us and kind of tell us a little bit what's going on there? First of all, I just want to say uh, to your point about the boomer generation and, and my applicability to talk to your audience. I think one of the reasons that I'm that I'm talking to the boomers, to my generation about reinvention, is because I'm, I'm seeing something that's affecting all generations, which is that life is changing at a much more rapid pace than it ever has. And the digital revolution has given us great gifts, but it's also given us great challenges. And one of those challenges is the ability to pivot, as we were talking before, to, to, to make changes to address the new conditions. And the new conditions are hitting us on a daily basis. Businesses are being disrupted out of existence right and left. Uh, whole industries are kind of going under as new ways of doing things are emerging. So reinvention skills are going to be important for everyone in every generation, and each generation is going to need to do it a little bit differently. But I think we all are in the same boat when it comes to needing to understand the value of, uh, of reinvention for our, our careers and for our lives. So uh, having said that, I'll kind of jump into the background and give you guys a little bit of an understanding of why I'm here and, and how that tumultuous career took place. And first of all, you know, the entertainment business, and I was primarily a film studio executive and producer for many, many years, is a very tumultuous business to begin with. So there is a lot of ins and outs and ups and downs and people moving around because it's a creative business and creative businesses tend to be a little bit unstable. It's harder to kind of quantify what success is going to be. It's hard to predict the future in a creative business. So that's why it tends to be a little bit unstable. I got into the business because as a kid, I was fascinated by movies and cameras and uh, both the technical and creative aspects of making movies and TV. And I always wondered why does one movie or TV show get made and, and another one doesn't? What is it about the script or the deal or the market that affects those decisions? And I set out to find the answer to that question and worked for, uh, I would say, a good 15, 20 years at the beginning of my career in and out of uh, film studios, uh, producing movies, uh, worked as a literary agent representing writers and directors and also worked in film distribution for a time. And then when technology started to really hit in the early 90s and multimedia became very hot, I started doing CD-ROM games and developed a technology uh, with a partner which uh, was in a very different area. It was in the area of customer service, but we were using multimedia tools and techniques to create artificially intelligent animated characters that you could have a conversation with online. And we did a customer service implementation for Sprint, and we did others for AT&T and Progressive Insurance and a couple other clients. And we had this great run 
up until 2001, at which point the, the first tech bubble burst and we along with it. I mean, uh, I think the NASDAQ you know, lost 30% of its value in six weeks. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy time. But the interesting thing that happened to me pivoting out of that was I didn't want to go back to my movie business jobs. I didn't feel like I was interested in doing that anymore. Uh, I wasn't sure about technology. So I decided to go back to school and earn a degree. And I earned a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I felt that, first of all, I wanted to know myself a little bit better. And I thought that I also could learn to have better interactions with people if I understood psychology better. And what that did was bring me into a new orientation towards my work, which was thinking about it much more from a people perspective than a content perspective. So if I had started my career being interested in why one script got made and another one didn't, now I found myself much more interested in why one person succeeds and another one doesn't. And what are the tools and techniques that a person can use to give themselves a better opportunity in their career? And that wound up, strangely enough, bringing me back into the entertainment business. I got a fantastic job at DreamWorks Animation doing a lot of people-oriented initiatives, including developing an outreach program to colleges and universities and leading the uh, creative leadership and uh, creative training programs uh, inside the company. So I was there for most of the 2000s and uh, blew out of there 2009, 2010 and wound up running this uh, great uh, management program for Carnegie Mellon out here in Los Angeles. So that describes the arc. And the 39% of the time, I, over the 35 years of the career up until the current situation, I had 17 jobs. And uh, 10 of those jobs were uh, jobs that I went to voluntarily. Either it was a job that I got that I was hired to do or a job completed. It was no harm, no foul. But seven of those jobs, I got fired. So there's your 39%. <laughs> and, you know, people ask me, well, is it any easier by the time you get to the seventh job where you're fired versus the first job? And, and the answer is not really. The, you know, the answer is you, you know that you've been through it before, so you're probably going to be okay. But you still have the same sense of loss and the same emotional ordeal that you go through the first time. I think you know, being fired 39% of the time gives you definitely a certain sense of resilience and a certain sense of perspective and a certain sense of methodology. And that really is what turned me around to develop the Boomer Reinvention curriculum because I thought, you know, between my experience having bounced around a lot and now having developed these psychology skills, I think there's a way of putting this together into a system that people can use. There's a couple things I just want to key in on. And I hope that you picked up on these because we're going to dig into these in just a couple minutes here. The key thing on this, you know, that I take away from all of this is flexibility. And there's a terminology that John used, and we're going to, I'm actually, I've got a question I'm going to ask him about on this one, which is, has to do with regards to pivoting, which is so important in our careers. So if you are at a position where you're just starting out in your engineering career, let's say you're within five years of having graduated and just started, these are issues or thoughts that are like probably the last ones that are floating through your mind. But the fact is, is that in the industry that we're in today, in the architectural engineering and construction, or really any engineering industry, the likelihood that you're going to be with the company you're with right now for the 20, 30, 40 years of productive engineering work that you've got before you is highly unlikely. That's right. 
and off the top of my head, I, I can't think of the stats, but I think that, I mean, the numbers of people that would be able to do that over an entire career, certainly less than 5%. Yeah, the stats are somewhere along the lines of kind of paralleling my experience, two to three years in a position. Absolutely. For those of you who have listened to these shows, you know that I come from a military background with over 21 years of uh, time in the military. For those that are just joining us, I spent over 21 years of my professional career in the military. And I will tell you that even in that environment, I held 17 jobs over 21 years. I wasn't being fired. I was being reassigned from one position to another. Yeah, I mean, I think the military background is a fant- actually a fantastic uh, background. You know, I grew up overseas, and I grew up, uh, my, my father was in business, but I grew up with a lot of foreign service kids and military kids who were being reassigned every two years, and it really creates a tremendous amount of resilience to have that kind of a lifestyle. It really does, and I, and I see that reflected my own children and their ability to be able to really bounce back and to establish new networks and to establish new connections with other people. So there's a lot of resilience in this movement from one position to another. So the real takeaway from all this is that you are going to face a transition. And it's either going to be one that's either going to be planned or it's going to be unplanned. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to kind of unpack basically some information for you on what you can do to help you with the planned ones, but even what can you do to help you with the unplanned transitions we're going to get into some intergenerational issues and discussions here as well, because I think that's such a huge one, because especially in the engineering field now, John, we've got individuals who are at the end of their career cycle. You know, they, they have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, 50 years. They're in their 60s and 70s. We've got young graduates that are just coming in, and these individuals are working with each other. My partner, Anthony, and I get questions. We get them quite a lot from people who are young in their career and they're interacting with older engineers and there's a lot of challenges that they face in in understanding how to get along with the boomers. So I think the first question I would ask you is, let's just put it this way, because we want to give some people some actionable items they can do something with. So what are three things that you tell a Gen X, Y, or even a millennial to keep in mind when they're working with boomers? Well, I think the, the first thing that comes up for me about this is to leverage their experience. There's, uh, I think, a tremendous resource that you're going to find with someone who's been in your field for, you know, 20, 30, maybe 40 years. And uh, there is an untapped resource there that is a question away if you're willing to tap it. And I think you almost can't expect this, these people that you're working with who have that experience to know what it is exactly that you want to know about the background because there's just like so much there to tap. And I have this experience in, in the grad school program where I've done a lot of stuff over these past 40 years in, in the business, and sometimes the students just won't know where, where to start when asking the question. So I think one of the things I would advise some people to do is to really study the person that you're working with, study their background, and start picking away at the areas of information that you want to glean. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I would say is to be mindful of the, the language differences. There's a certain kind of lost in translation, I think, in many cases between boomers and millennials, perhaps along the way, you know, the, the different generations along the way. Not that we all speak different languages, but I think that there may be some things to watch out for in terms of the way we express uh, ourselves. 
So I would just kind of be mindful about that, about mindful of expressions and cultural references. Uh, you know, you might find that there are people who are culturally up to date. Other people will be kind of stuck in the past a little bit. So you have to gauge who they are and how up to date they are and act accordingly. And then the last thing I would say is to just kind of loosen up a little bit and lighten up about it. I think there tends to be, a, with some younger people, I've experienced the sense of maybe it's intimidation or maybe it's, uh, if not intimidation, then there's a sense of otherness, a sense of I really can't relate to someone who's 20, 30, uh, 40 years older than I am. But I would say that's not really the case. I think that uh, once you kind of dispense with the formalities and really get into the domain that you're talking about, you will find that it's very easy to talk to someone who has all this experience because you have this common domain that you're focusing on. So get over that initial hesitation and that maybe bias that says, oh, I can't talk to this person because you probably can. I can kind of relate a little bit of a story of my own from when I first came on active duty. Right after I graduated from college, I, I was very much convinced that I knew everything. I had it all figured out. I was in control of my own destiny, and that bumped up against the reality of individuals who had been in the service for 20 years or over 20 years. Right. And these were individuals who had, they had literally been there, done it. They had several T-shirts. But they were in these positions where they were willing to share the knowledge and the information that they had to grow me into the leader that I have become today. I just had to be willing to ask the questions. And I think that that's such an important distinction and such an important piece of information to share that for those of you who are out there working with boomers who are with, you know, individuals who've been with the firm that you're in or even out the engineering industry that have been there for many, many years you have such an opportunity there to develop a relationship with them and to be able to learn from what they have learned, to learn from their mistakes. You just absolutely have to tap into it. So that's such a great distinction to lay out, and I'm glad you shared that with us. I think maybe what I would kind of bump into this thing is, so we'll kind of shift it around a little bit, and there's a lot of engineering firm owners that are out there who have these opportunities to bring in, let's say, either full-time or even part-time employees back onto their staff. And let's say you had an opportunity to have a conversation with one or two of them and say, hey, you know, here's some reasons why you may want to consider bringing somebody, you know, who's in that generation back onto your staff. What are the, some of the tangible benefits that you think that they might earn from bringing that individual on either in a, a full-time or even a part-time capacity? Sure. Well, I think there are four things that we boomers are, are known for out in the workplace. Number one is that we're very work-centric. And I think part of the reason why we're, as a generation, having such a hard time retiring is that we kind of live to work. And I'm not exactly sure how we went from being the peace and love hippie generation to being these workaholics, but that's kind of what we've turned out to be. We really, as a generation, tend to define ourselves through our work. So that's not going away anytime soon. So I, I think you will find in bringing boomers uh, into the workplace that they are, maybe to borrow from your world, locked and loaded and ready to roll. The second thing I would say is that we're known for being very independent, very self-reliant. That can be to a fault. I think one of the things you probably have to watch for in that situation is we're much more team-oriented in the workplace today than we used to be. And one of the things that I'm 
coaching boomers about is this ability to open up to being more team oriented. But the good side of the independence is that boomers tend to be self-reliant. You kind of wind them up and they'll go, go, go. So that I think is a, is a good thing to be able to have around. They're also very goal oriented. So, you know, again, between wanting to work hard, being independent, self-reliant, and being goal-oriented, they can be tremendously productive and uh, contextual. So they won't be kind of asking you why it is that they're supposed to be doing something. They will figure out what the goal is, and then they'll be able to go after it. And then finally, in the same vein as, as these three other points, we tend to be pretty competitive. So, uh, you know, again, it's this idea that, uh, that we like to work, we like to achieve, we like to succeed. So I think those are the four really top positive points, I would say, are advantages to bringing boomers back into uh, the workforce or keeping them in the workforce. That's key items here. So I really appreciate that, John. We're going to actually, I'm going to borrow this word and I'm going to actually ask you what it means. We're going to pivot right now. <laughs> We're going to go into retirement planning. And this is something that, at least in my own mind, has run through whenever I talk about retirement planning, I'm thinking of a, from a financial standpoint, you know, I'm doing retirement planning for my finances and, and to make sure that I'm able to, you know, to take care of my family and myself when I get to a point where I can no longer work. As I was thinking about getting ready for this episode, I was starting to think about, well, I think there's more to it than just the financial aspect, that perhaps this retirement planning really takes into account this potential desire by some individuals, by a lot of individuals, either desire because they want to, or maybe it's a desire because they have to continue to work. So instead of stipping my ties on a beach, they're looking at going, gosh, I'm in this position that I have to, or it could be that they just really very much want to start career number two. Yes. So let me ask you this. I mean, what are some of the steps that you would, you know, as you go through this boomer reinvention discussion that you have with people, what are some of the steps that they need to walk through to reinvent themselves when they have this significant career shift or they're in this position where they're retiring and they're moving into what I'll call career number two? I think this is probably a good opportunity for me to go through the five reinvention steps that I set forth in the Boomer Reinvention System. And obviously, they're tailored to people who have most of their career behind them or who are looking to kind of re-up into a second career. But I think that from a mindfulness point of view, these five steps really apply at any age. And they are, I think, applicable at a younger age, not so much in terms of, okay, I haven't done anything and now I need to do something. I would suggest them as processes that can be adopted as part of a daily lifestyle at looking at your career as something that is fluid, that's growing, that is expanding, that is a living, breathing entity as opposed to this fixed, kind of locked in stone thing that you do every day. So the first step in the five-step process I call reframing, and that is a process whereby you are really questioning pretty much everything that's going on in your life. You're questioning your beliefs, you're questioning your methodology, you're questioning your attitudes, you're questioning the way you do things, you question whether, you know, to the degree to which you feel you're capable of doing something or not doing something. So it really is about maintaining a certain agility in your frame of mind and remaining open to different ways of looking at the world. 
in a rapidly changing environment. Again, workplace, technology development, everything that's going on, uh, management styles and techniques, it does not serve us to be closed off to other ideas and say, well, that's not the way I work. This is the way I work. Well, I would question that. I would say, really, you know, I think we, we kind of owe it to ourselves to have the curiosity to and the openness to entertain other ideas. Second step in the five-step system is listening. And we talk about listening skills a lot in management circles and HR is always uh, kind of on our case about our listening skills, but I think it really is important and it bears repeating that in order to really understand where we fit in and what we're doing, we need to receive feedback from people uh, who are trusted, close friends, advisors, family, and people who are willing to give us the straight story, people who are not going to sugarcoat who we are, what we're doing, and just say, oh, everything's going to work out. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. Uh, that's not really helpful. Uh, we need people to be able to sit us down, frankly, and say, hey, you know, you handled that situation pretty badly, and, and I'm here to help talk you through it, and maybe next time you can do it a little bit differently and have a different outcome. So, you know, we need to get that tough feedback, what HR calls the constructive feedback, and that's something which we really need to, I think, encourage on a regular basis. So if you have few people in your life who you would consider to be mentors or close friends who are willing to give you the unvarnished truth, you really want to spend time with them and you really want to engage with them as well as do the same favor for them to help guide them in, in their lives and careers. So then the third step after reframing and listening is what I call accepting. At some point, we have to realize that we are the sum total of our choices and our decisions and our actions, and we have to accept responsibility for that. It's not about blaming ourselves or blaming other people. It's really about saying, hey, I've learned all these lessons up to this point, and uh, I've made some good choices and some bad choices, and it's time to just accept those choices and be able to move on. Because what I've found, and I, this is certainly important for people who have been in business for many, many years, but I think it's, it's important at any age to recognize that if we harbor ill will towards other people or judgment towards ourselves, that's going to stand in the way of our moving forward and getting involved in anything new. That nugget of uh, unresolved energy or uh, you know, unresolved relationship is going to stand in our way. It's going to give us pause before we step into a new situation. Other people will read that. They will not necessarily know what it is that they're reading, but they will read your hesitation. They will read the unresolved nature of your dilemma, and they will turn the other way. So it's important if we really want to maximize the opportunities that could be coming our way to be completely clear and uh, in acceptance of ourselves and others. And it's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying don't burn any bridges. Or if you burn bridges, mend them. So those are the first three steps in the reinvention process. I call those the reconciliation steps because they kind of get you to the point where you've become open to new things. You're willing to listen to other people and kind of process that uh, feedback. 
And then you're willing to say, you know, it's all good. I've done the best I could to get to this point. I'm ready to go on and uh, take everything I've learned and go to the next step. So the next step I call express. It's really about expressing who you are, what you can do, what you want to do. It's about taking those dreams and fantasies out of the closet and using various visioning techniques and journaling techniques and whole bunch of stuff that we do in psychology process to really anchor in the vision of where you want to go, who you want to be, what you want to do. And then in the final process, the connect process, you're going out into the world and you're doing it. You're developing network with the people who are doing the kinds of things that you want to do. You're expressing yourself through this network. You're expressing your newfound expertise, uh, information, passion. You are uh, developing links and partnerships and uh, opportunities through those connections and then uh, finding ways of turning that into a sustainable career. So it's no longer, we're no longer in an era where you can write up a resume and send the resume out to 15 open job postings and expect to get a call back. No one does. And the reason why is because HR is overwhelmed with applications for jobs. There's a talent shortage, but there are many, many people applying for the jobs that you likely want. And I'm not sure how this is going these days in the engineering field, but I think as I look across the board, it's a very, very fraught uh, issue, uh, you know, getting a job. Particularly for older workers, uh, there's a lot of ageism out there in the uh, workplace. A lot of things that we're dealing with that younger generations are not dealing with. But then again, younger generations have other issues that they're dealing with. So it's, it's not a great time in a lot of ways. The solution for me is to build relationships. When I was a hiring manager and I had an open position, I never really expected that I would fill that position through a new over-the-transom hire that someone in HR was going to bring in. I always picked up the phone, called my network, shot off an email, said, I've got this position, who have you got? Because I would much rather hire someone that was referred to me by someone I knew than just hire someone by looking at their resume and talking to some reference on the phone that I have no idea who they are, what the context is. That's a very important element right there. I mean, I just talking a foot stomp on that one that, uh, you know, the relationship piece is so important. And we won't dive into the deep end of the pool on that topic in this episode, but developing that network is such an asset for everyone at any stage in their career. That is your asset. It's the one you own. It's the one you control. And quite frankly, it's the one you're responsible to build. And it's the one that's going to be able to provide you with an opportunity to be able to move from position to position when you get stuck into a a period of transition, whether you want to be there or not. And uh, it's just vitally important honestly say, and John, maybe you'll support me on this one, but I mean, I would honestly say, don't call it the old boys network or some kind of a secret network you can't get in. It's a network you have to build, right? That's absolutely right. You build that network and that's an asset to you so that if you are ever in one of these positions where you're having to do a transition, you have got that ability to be able to move from one location to another. So if you're in the car driving and you didn't have a chance to hit it, I'm gonna, I'll run through these five steps again because they're absolutely golden. And that, that is you know, reframing, listening, accepting, expressing, and connecting. And John, the, the project manager in me was thinking through the five domain groups of project management, which were initiating, planning, executing, 
which those three right there are summed up in your five steps. We're initiating, we're planning, and we're executing the project from a project management standpoint. We then move into monitoring and controlling and closing, which you would expect, you know, engineers to have uh, kind of the full cycle there. But certainly these five elements that you have outlined are applicable. And I think that they're applicable. It doesn't matter if you're a boomer or an X, Y, or even a millennial coming out of of college looking for new work. It's applicable to all of us. So that's some golden insight. I appreciate sharing it with that. Right. John, you're very well published on Huffington Post. You've got a lot of articles that are out there. And one that I hit on when I was preparing for the show today, it starts off with a sort of a story. It was an interview you had with an individual who happened to be an engineer And it was a discussion about balancing passion versus paycheck. And I think that this is really important because there's a lot of engineers I talk with, a lot of especially younger individuals who I speak with, and they're creative. They want to get out into the world, bring their creations, their power, their energy into the world. And they're very passionate. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that they're very passionate. But there's this balance that has to be struck between being very passionate and perhaps putting a lot of energy into something with little reward. And as you've kind of titled it out here, this passion versus paycheck, first off, you've been through a very dynamic career. You're working with individuals who have been through a lot. They've seen a lot in their careers. Some have been very successful. Maybe some have not been. What do you believe are some of the steps that a person needs to take to position themselves to you know, really kind of get themselves into alignment for retirement. We were talking before about the financial planning aspects of it, and, and that's obviously a completely different uh, side of it. And I think we all need to be responsible, obviously, financially and, and start to save as early as we can and invest wisely. So let's take that off the table because I think that is something that we all agree on. You know, I, I think it is, it's hard to predict the future. As you're talking, I'm... I'm I was going to answer one way, but I, but something came up to me as you were talking. There was a, a commencement address. It was actually very appropriate. It was uh, at uh, Columbia University Engineering School, and uh, it was this uh, past uh, spring, and it was um, Ben Horowitz, uh, the venture capitalist, Mark Andreessen's partner in Silicon Valley, who was a graduate of Columbia Engineering. He uh, did the commencement address at the uh, for the class this past June, and he made a really interesting comment about this idea of following your bliss. And I think we all kind of have grown up on this idea, this wonderful concept that if you follow your bliss, you're going to do well. And it's kind of a typical commencement speech to encourage the graduates to go out and follow your bliss and do what you love and the money will follow. But Ben Harwis had a somewhat cynical attitude about that. He said, he said, if that were true, then every contestant on American Idol or America's Got Talent would be a zillionaire because clearly they're following their bliss, but just because they're following their bliss does not mean that they're talented and that they're going to succeed. So I think that's an appropriate dose of of cold water on this idea of bliss. But what he did say, which I thought was interesting, he said, instead of following your bliss, follow your contribution. And I think that gets to a very important area, which I believe in tremendously, which is this idea of having a service orientation. So he was saying, if you can find an area where your talent connects in with making a contribution and making a difference, that actually fulfills both the bliss side of it 
because you're getting this enormous amount of satisfaction and reward from making a difference, but you're also actually contributing to someone else's success or the success of the company. So that, I think, to me, could be a way of summing up this passion versus paycheck question. And maybe it's a check-in. It's something that you do periodically to make sure that you are using your skills to make a contribution, to make a contribution to something that's larger than yourself, whether it is within the company that you're working for, maybe it's a service project that's going on outside of the, uh, the company, it's a community group or a church group that you're part of, a cause that you believe in. And I, I think these are some of the ways that we can kind of stay fresh as we go through life and go through our careers and prepare for this point in our lives when we are, if not retiring, then we're kind of pulling back a little bit or phasing things a little bit differently where we're still working, but we're also involved in other more meaningful, more purposeful pursuits. Because I think at the end of the day, I guess what it all comes down to for us is, is legacy. What's the legacy that we want to leave? And I think it's probably never too early to start thinking about that legacy. You know, for those who are listening, you know, who, who are kind of keen in on this follow your bliss component, anyone who has read anything by John Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Right, Joseph Campbell. So I'll make sure that we have the right annotation in there. We'll, we'll immediately key in on that because that's really that follow your bliss comes from Joseph Campbell, right? Yep. That's really where the kind of the attribution comes from. So I think the, the element, and this is something that I've not heard before, which I, I'm going to have to find this commencement speech and, and try to share that with everyone. And that is this, let's take that to the next step that, you know, following your bliss is great, but it's got to be within reason. And it has to be one in which you can provide value. And I think this is the golden key. And for myself here, I'm, I'm thinking the first thing that came to my mind, John, was servant leadership and servant selling. Those concepts where you're following your bliss, you want to be there, you want to be in service to other people through really kind of feeling connected to others. But you can do that in whatever career you're in. The audience here, we're all engineers. We love engineering. We do engineering. That's what we do. We can be in service to others through our engineering work. I mean, for most of us, we're there to support the public. That's what we're there for. And there's so many opportunities to be able to be a servant leader, to be a servant seller, to be in service to the community and the public as an engineer. I mean, we can probably go on for an entire episode through all those elements. So let me ask this question. You've spent a lot of time in LA working on different projects where you were in the production mode, really kind of the person who was making these decisions about whether or not to go after something and pursue it and make it, you know, carry it all the way through to, to fruition or to just leave it, leave it where it was. So let me ask this question, because this is something that comes up, I think, a lot for a lot of engineering firms, a lot of engineering firm owners. And I think there's a lot that can be learned from even other industries. And that is having to do with the decisions of when is a project worth pursuing over one that isn't. So I'm just going to ask this because, again, I think that there is something that we can learn in the engineering career field from other industries. For you, from your experiences, what made one project worth pursuing over one that you said, hey, it's just not going to bring return on, on investment? There are two things that come up for me on that. You know, One is that, and I think this is particularly true having worked with a lot of engineers, 
um, pretty much through most of my career, one way or another. Definitely at DreamWorks. I mean, DreamWorks is a creative engineer 50-50 split. And uh, obviously in my, in my startup. And that would be to say that you have to make a decision based on the whole picture. You can't just make a decision based on objective criteria. You have to also think about subjective criteria. And when I guess it comes to objective criteria, the subjective criteria rather than, than the question, which is the question that I ask myself all the time in the movie business is, is this worth X number of years of my time to go through all of the heartache and the obstacles and the challenges that are going to, of course, come up because nothing's ever easy. At the end of the day, when I see that finished product, am I going to say, win, lose, or draw, was it worth it? And if the answer is yes, then I jump. There's a, uh, a quote that comes to my mind. It actually comes from Derek Sivers. Whenever he was faced with something, he either said, if it's, it's either a hell yes or it's a no. <laughs> One of the two. So that's exactly right. That's immediately what came to my mind. So let me ask you. Let me ask you this piece, and then we're gonna we're gonna get ready to move into our to our take action today segment. But I'm gonna ask you, John. Let's say I don't know. It's the end of the <laughs> end of the world, if you will. There's only like you were somehow able to save three books. You had the opportunity to to grab, you know, to put your hands on three books. Those are the last ones. It was the last piece of knowledge you could impart. What would be the three books that you would put your hands on so that you could impart with other people? I don't think I can frame it in such apocalyptic terms. I'm thinking a little bit more near term than that. And I'll kind of give you three titles that I'm working with today that seem to make sense for me in this, in this particular time when we are dealing with, and I'm dealing with uncertainty in the boomer generation. So the, there's one book that's directly related to retirement. And I think it works not just for boomers. I think it works for anyone who's kind of looking at the way the whole concept of retirement has changed and how it will continue to, to change. And that's a book called Unretirement, How Baby Boomers Are Changing the Way We Think About Work, Community, and the Good Life. And it's written by a financial journalist named Chris Farrell. And it came out last year. And I think it's a really excellent overview of the history of retirement, the whys and the wherefores, and where it's going. So that's one. And then the second book, and this is really pivoting to a completely different frame, uh, is a book called Comfortable with Uncertainty by a woman named Pema Chodron. And I'll spell that. It's, uh, first name is Pema, P-E-M-A. And the second name is Chodron, C-H-O-D-R-O-N. Uh, and this woman is a uh, American nun, Buddhist nun, who uh, lives in Canada and has written a, a number of, of spiritually oriented books about the question of uncertainty and how Buddhism looks at uncertainty. And I think it's a very, very important body of work that she has written that applies so directly to us in these uncertain, changing times. So I would really recommend that. And then from a management perspective, there's a book that I like a lot called The Starfish and the Spider uh, by two guys, Ori Braffman, O-R-I, Braffman, B-R-A-F-M-A-N, and Rod Beckstrom, B-E-C-K-S-T-R-O-M. Uh, and these are two uh, Silicon Valley management guys. And I'll, I'll just kind of give you the, the premise. If you take a, a spider and you, uh, you cut off its legs, uh, the spider dies. 
But if you take a starfish and you cut off the starfish's uh, five uh, legs or extremities, uh, each one of them grows a new starfish. So this is a book about the power of decentralized organizations. And it, it really is one of a number of phase 2.0 management books about leaner, flatter, more agile, decentralized organizations and how in a technological world, a networked world, uh, these organizations are much more durable and resilient than conventional, more spider hierarchical organizations where centralization is, uh, is key. And they're saying that uh, that's not working anymore. So those are three book ideas for you. Those are huge. And in the last one, I will foot stomp on because this was actually, John, this was one that was handed to me by my, my last commander when I was a uh, when I was an engineering squadron commander. My boss actually gave that book, The Starfish and the Spider, to me and all my counterparts as you know, part of his reading list uh, to really kind of help help articulate his leadership style. <laughs> so so it's just an awesome book. And the other two here, The Unretirement and Comfortable with Uncertainty, we'll have links to those in our show notes. I'm actually throwing this Comfortable with Uncertainty one into my reading list almost immediately. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. All right, John's going to stay with us now, and we're going to move into the Take Action Today segment of the show where we're going to give you some actionable advice on this topic we've been discussing about, and we want you to just stand by. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. I'm going to give you a small piece of advice. Before I do that, I'd like to offer a word from today's episode sponsor. My listeners often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE, PE, or SE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. If you plan to take your exam soon, I have a special promo code for listeners of my podcast. Use promo code COACH for 15% off your order at ppi2pass.com slash coach. Again, that's ppi, the number two, pass.com slash coach, and use promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. PPI's mission is simple. They want to help engineers pass the FE, PE, and SE exams and advance their careers. Quality is paramount at PPI. In fact, it's the driving force behind everything they do. With best-selling exam review materials developed by PPI founder Michael Lindenberg and other experts in the industry, they have been the source and solution for passing the FE, PE, and SE exams for more than 40 years. To see how PPI can help you pass your exam and for special offers and discounts exclusive to my podcast listeners, visit ppi2pass.com slash coach. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com slash coach. Okay, so we've been talking in this in this episode, uh, John and I have been talking about reinventing yourself, and it starts with, from my perspective, knowing your why. And that's not really an easy nut to crack. I mean, it takes time, there's a lot of commitment, there's a ton of rework. John's hit on it a couple times in some of the notes that he was touching on about journal work and about really kind of digging into trying to figure out what it is that we do and why we do it. And this is applicable at any point in our careers. It doesn't matter if we're at the end of our career, if we're in this boomer generation. Even if you're just starting out, you've been in the industry for 5, 10, 15 years, you are going to reach a point where you're going to have to be very, very clear. And the clearer you can get on your why, the earlier you can in your career, the better you are. 
So this is, I mean, I guess I'll call you even unfortunately for me, it took me almost 15 years into my professional career before I stumbled across, and I'll just even say it, it was stumbling across what I consider one of the exercises. It was a journaling exercise that I thought was one of the most powerful for me. That very powerful journaling exercise for me was what I called the, the list of 50s. And it was the 50 things that I want to be, that I want to do, and that I want to have in my life. And this maybe seems like a very easy exercise to do, but I'll just recommend that if you do journaling, grab your journal. If you don't, grab, grab a piece of paper, block off about an hour and a half, maybe even two hours of time, and just sit there and write out literally 50 things that you want to be, 50 things that you want to do, and 50 things that you want to have. And the power that comes from that, that I found at least for myself, is that it was very, very easy for me to crank out, let's say, maybe even the first 15, maybe the first 20. But after I got past 25, it started getting hard. It started getting deep. And there were some very interesting things that came out of my mind as I was writing this onto a piece of paper. And I just recommend that you do it once. It's going to be a very cathartic activity. And then you revisit it. And you revisit it, let's say, in 30 days after you do it the first time, 60 days. I have done this numerous times. I do it now about twice a year. It's very fun to be able to go back and to look at what my, my list of 50 looks like because it has changed so much over the last six years since I started doing this. So that, that's my piece of actionable advice. John, now it's your turn. What's one piece of career advice you, you wish you'd had back when you were at the 15% mark in your career transitions? Well, it's, it's really pretty simple. I, I really wish that I had found a mentor. And uh, that is something now looking back, I think it would have uh, really helped me to uh, make better decisions in context if I had had uh, someone that I could have turned to uh, at that stage in my career to give me a little bit of backstop. For whatever reason, I think I was, I was shy about that or didn't feel entitled or didn't really you know, I hadn't really kind of cultivated any of those relationships and I had friends, but I, I really would have benefited from someone who had a good 10, 20 years ahead of me uh, on the curve to, uh, to bounce stuff off of. John, that's, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I also want us to just tell you, thank you very much for what you're doing. I'm so appreciative of the fact that, that we were able to connect and I'm very appreciative of, of what you're doing in the world, the, uh, the greatness that you're bringing to really literally everyone. I mean, I know that your, your focus is on the boomer generation, but I think so much of what you share with the world is applicable to all of us, everyone that's listening on this episode. And so thank you very much for what you do. I very much appreciate it. Well, thanks for saying that, Chris. And, uh, you know, and back at you, I think it's great that you're, uh, you're doing this work and that you're uh, being of service to this community. So good for you. Thank you, John. Well, everyone that's listening, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, your comments, your questions. Just go to engineeringcareercoach.com, provide those to us. Anthony and I answer everything that comes to us. We love to do that. We love to hear what you have to say. We love to interact with you. We monitor all those comments, and you know that we're going to respond if you leave us one. And until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. 
Now is the time to engineer your own success.